each week I've started out by saying that when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, you find that Jesus asks us 308 questions. Now, he doesn't ask the questions because he needs the information. He asks the questions because we need the information. Jesus asks us questions because he wants to awaken us to critical realities that we may not be sufficiently awakened to and to get our attention on some concerns that we may not be concerned about but that we need to be concerned about. And so we continue with that theme today. Here, here's our message today. What do we profit if we get it all? Now, most of us in here would probably admit we're Americans, this kind of happens to us, that we've probably had situations where we paid too much for something Another way of saying that is we maybe got ripped off. Just curious how many have had that experience. You paid too much for something or you got ripped off. Yeah. And if you're perhaps like me, you, you have a problem with advertising in certain ways. Uh, I was thinking of opening a chapter here in Frederick, the, the IAA. Um, it's Infomercial Addicts Anonymous. <laughs> it is my Achilles heel. It is embarrassing. I have no idea why. I know how stupid they are. And, and the same procedure happens all the time. It's like the infomercial comes on the TV, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to watch this. And then I'm like, I'm looking at it, and then I'm like, you know, that sounds like it could be real, you know? Next thing you know, where's my credit card? <laughs> and you end up with glasses that have little flip switch on the side that do not work. <laughs> But what if, uh, what if there was an infomercial that came across with this pitch? And, and by the way, the people that do the, pitch, the pitches for these things are usually pathetic, and yet they still win me over time after time. But what if a, what if a pitch came that here's a product that will get you the best life ever? Now, not one of us in here, okay, on some level, if we thought it was accessible, if we thought it was real... There's not one of us in here that doesn't want the best life ever. No one goes deliberately pursuing the hardest or the most unhappy life ever. You want, I want, it's written into our spiritual DNA by God, our creator. We want the best life ever. The only question becomes is, is how do you in this world where things are not yet perfect, where God's will is not being done by everyone, where evil is existent, where life is short and there's lots of dangers and things of that nature, how do you get the best life ever? You may not have thought about this, but you're pursuing the best life ever. You've been pursuing the best life ever ever since you came to cognizance and awareness of happiness at all. I don't know what your life is like right now. I don't know what it feels like to be you, but I know that regardless of where you're at in life, what age, what experiences you've had, what you're going through, you still somewhere want the best life ever. In fact, some of us in here today, the truth be told, if the signs went up overhead, we, we, we'd find that we were terribly unhappy. Some of us, the sign would go up and would show that we're, we're hanging by a thread because we are so deeply disappointed in what's going on in some facet of our life right now. We, we still want the best life ever. But the question becomes, how do you get that? What is, the, what is the actual path? Jesus' question, what do we profit if we get it all? It really leads to the answer to this question about the best life ever. 
Uh, in our society today, the, the popular notion is, is that if you can get it all, and if you can get it now, and if you can enjoy it now, that's the best life ever. Jesus is going to talk very specifically about that and in ways that are counter to what the inclination of the masses of society is today. So let's go right into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. This is in Jesus' second year of his ministry, three and a half year ministry. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples. His disciples is just another word for those that had already put their trust in him and become his follower. That is, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know or you've never been taught this in church, that is what it means to be a Christian. When one makes the decision to put their trust in Christ and become his follower, the scripture says God forgives us all of our sins. He gives us as a free gift eternal life. And then he, he can start to work in our life to help us to become who God always meant us to become and do what he always meant us to do. But he can't do that until he has my trust. He has your trust. So just to get us started thinking, if you're here today, perhaps you're religious, perhaps you've gone to church a lot in your life, but if you've never made a decision that all things considered in a world where everybody's following somebody, if you've never made a decision to put your trust in Christ and become his follower, you're religious, but you're not yet a Christian, which means your, your sins are not yet forgiven, you do not yet have the free gift of eternal life, nor can the Spirit of God access your deepest heart uh, so that he can start that developmental process that God intends all of us to be on in this journey called life. All right, that kind of starts us to think a little bit. Really important, make sure that you know where you stand spiritually. Are you indeed a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my what? Follower, that is what it means to be a Christian, you must, and we should pause when Jesus, the creator of the universe, says must, you must give up what? Your own way. Now, what does that mean, my own way? Well, my own way is that I just do life the way I want to. I'm the captain of my own destiny. I just do what I feel like doing. I do it my way. I don't listen to anyone unless I want to. That, that's what Jesus is saying. I can do it my way or I can do it his way. I, I'm finite and I'm fallible. I make lots of mistakes. I, I'm, I'm capable of great foolishness. He is the creator of the universe and the one that loves humanity so much that he proved his love, he demonstrated his love by allowing himself to be crucified to let you know, I know, everyone know, this is how much you matter to me. I love you. I am for you. I know what is best. I want, I want what is best. And so we can make that choice to trust in ourselves and we're all finite and fallible or we can trust in the creator who loves us more than we can possibly love ourselves. So, if any of you wants to be, now notice he's talking to a crowd of people and he knows that some of them actually are pondering the thought of becoming his follower. They want to be, but do they want to be his follower for the right reason? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That was probably a jolt to some of those that heard it. And then he says this, take up your cross and follow me. Well, anyone in that day, when they heard the word, take up your cross, they knew exactly what it was talking about. It was talking about capital punishment. It was the methodology that the Roman government used to, to kill criminals. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to accept the fact 
that you're going to be looked upon by society in, in a derisive way, in a negative way. You're, you're not going to be looked upon favorably by society. You're going to be looked upon as a, as a felon dragging his cross through the street on his way to death. Now, that would have been a shock to some of them. You have to understand, in, in the Jewish community of that day, the first century, the Messiah, they expected, was going to take over the planet. He was going to become a geopolitical leader. He would become, essentially, the king of the world. And if you were a part of his kingdom, then your prestige, your power, your popularity, uh, your pleasure quotient was going to go up exponentially. So... I'm trying to say this to you. Many of the people that were interested in Jesus in that day, they were interested in him because they thought, if I become connected to him, then, man, I'm going to get lifted up. I'm going to have it all, and I'm going to have it all now. In this room today, if we were to go back and assess our lives, many of us are here today. Many of us have affiliated ourselves, perhaps even, with Jesus for reasons that may not be the right reasons. Uh, sometimes we're, we're, we're affiliating or we're associating with Jesus because we're just trying to please somebody else in our life. It might be a spouse. It, it might be a work associate. Some of us are here because we're, we're looking for a spouse <laughs> or we're looking for work. You know, we, there can be all kinds of reasons that people will associate with Jesus. It, you, you find that when he was on earth and he was doing all of his miracles and healing of multitudes of diseases, well, many people came to him just to get out of him what they could to make their lives a little more pleasant. Some people think of Jesus as being a, a methodology, a tool to get my life straight. Or he's a tool that I can, I can deal with my addiction. Or, or, or he's a tool to help my family stay whole. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't do all those things when we authentically trust him and follow him, but that isn't the primary reason that he wants us to trust him and follow him. We, he doesn't want to be used, he wants to be trusted. Uh, he, he wants a real, authentic relationship with us. So he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. In other words, he's saying, you think it's going to be a power trip in popularity and wealth. He says, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be popular in society necessarily. And follow me. Now, to follow Jesus, we have to understand first century context once again. It meant that Jesus is now going to be the Lord, the ruler, the king of my life. I am going to sit at his feet, as it were, and I'm going to learn all of his ways. I'm going to get into his word, the Bible. I'm going to learn how God designed me to live, designed life to be. I'm going to learn the laws of my being that God built into me. And because I now trust him, I'm going to comply with those laws of my being. I'm going to stop doing, in other words, to follow Jesus means I'm going to stop doing Everything that he says, stop doing because he loves me and knows what's best and knows some things are not for my good. And then I'm going to start doing everything that he says to do because once again, he knows what is best. He wants what's best. So we, we can't make this into some sort of fuzzy, blurry, religious talk. Jesus, he would have been very clearly understood by those that heard him in the first century. They knew he meant they were going to submit their lives to his word, to his teaching and they were going to gladly let it mold and shape their lifestyle, their culture. Listen, life change, life change is the core of a relationship with God. He loves us as we are, but he can't possibly leave us as we are because you can't have the best life ever 
if we're going our own way. Hence, Jesus says, you've got to give up your own way to be my follower. Then he goes on and says in verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, which is just a way of saying, I'm going to keep on doing things my way. That's all, that's all he meant there. If you try to hang on to your life, you will what? Lose it. He's saying, in essence, if you keep doing things your own way, you're going to ultimately lose more and more control of your life, and you're going to ultimately be disappointed. You're not going to get the best life ever that we all actually indeed want. So if you try to hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, which is the good news about Jesus, that our God is loving and he's kind and he's trustworthy and he offers us the best life ever, even in this difficult world, and, and a beautiful life, the desires of our heart in an eternal existence to come. That's the good news. And it's free. It's for anyone. Anyone that will put their trust in Christ and become his follower receives eternal life in the kingdom of God as well as the, the working of the Spirit of God to help us to become who we were always meant to become and to do what we were always meant to do. So he says we have to give up our life for his sake and for the sake of the good news. It's just another way of saying uh, we have to be willing to give up our own way, take up the cross and follow him, submit to him. It goes on just a bit more. Now the question behind the question. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, we tend to read this or we tend to hear this in terms of, oh, but this is talking about in judgment, you know. So Jesus is saying, you know, if you don't put your trust in me and become my follower in judgment, you know, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's true enough. That's true enough because we would be misfits. Why would, if we don't like the will of God in this life, what makes us think we're going to like the will of God in a life to come? We'd be bored stiff, we'd be angry, we'd be rebellious. And so heaven is a place for people that in this life like the heavenly way of living. And that heavenly way of living is, is manifested in Jesus. So he says, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Now this gain the whole world... It goes back to the beginning of that passage where Jesus said, you're going to have to give up your way and accept my way. So gaining the whole world, it is doing it my way. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's what it's about. So the irony, though, Jesus says that if we insist on trying to get it all and get it all now, it will inevitably destroy our soul and, and Jesus says our soul is the most valuable thing we have now now we've all met people that we say things like you know that, that person is soulless they have no soul whatsoever the, meaning that they may be so enamored with money or ambition or or lust or pleasure or any number of things that they've, they've ceased to be fully human and fully alive. They're, they're more like an animal in the way they conduct themselves, just living to fulfill their desires, than they are human. They, they become soulless. Jesus says, if we seek to gain it all, if we seek to get the best life ever from what's available in this life, ignoring our Creator, His way, His will, we're, we're going to end up in the process inevitably damaging, deteriorating, destroying, losing our soul. 
And our soul, of course, it's that inner person that we are. Sometimes the soul in Scripture is used to just generally talk about our inner life. Sometimes it's used very specifically to, to distinguish it from our spirit. Our spirit is our God-enlightened reasoning faculty and conscience. Our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. Our, our, our spirit is meant to rule over our soul and then our soul over our body. But sometimes we get that all scrambled. It wouldn't be unusual if there's not somebody in this audience today that their body, their bodily impulses actually rule over their life as opposed to their God-enlightened reasoning faculties and their conscience and their soul. But anyway, losing your soul is an actual experience. It doesn't happen on Judgment Day, though. This is what, this is what Christians think, that, that you lose your soul on Judgment Day. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying we lose our soul in little, little bites every day that we put our will before God's will and it affects us, it deteriorates our capacities. I'm gonna get into this a little, little further, so I won't go, I won't go on now. Let, let, me, let me go to this. Gaining the whole world, this is typically, this is typically the formula, as it were, uh, for the best life ever. You know, we, we just don't think this through, but typically if you watch the, the masses of people, Gaining the whole world, it's getting as much pleasure as we can, becoming as popular as we can, having all the possessions that we desire, gaining prestige. If we get the pleasure and the popular and the possessions, then we want prestige. And then ultimately, if we get all that, we want power. If you watch the cycle in certain people's lives, and we think that's the formula pretty much that everybody buys into in one way or one degree or another to try to get the best life possible. Pause for a minute. And ask yourself, could you be following this formula unknowingly that you think this is going to get you the best life ever uh, in this present life? Now, let's ask this question. Why, why is this temptation so powerful and the cost so inevitable? Jesus says, you know, what does it profit if we gain the whole world, lose our own, our own soul? What can be compared to the value of our soul. So why, why is this a temptation to want to get best life ever by, as it were, gaining the whole world? And why does it inevitably destroy our soul? You're going to have to follow it carefully. We're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture that are a little bit complex as they probe inside to show us what goes on inside of us when we don't follow our Creator, Christ, and when we do things our way. So, so let's get into this. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ that live in a city called Ephesus, he says to them, they were now Christ followers, but they weren't always, as none of us are. He says, you used to live like people of this world. He's distinguishing people of this world from those that have now put their trust in Christ and become his follower. You used to live like the people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power this is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever, what does it say? Whatever felt good and whatever you thought you, what? So Paul is saying, remember, before you became one that put their trust in Christ and became his follower, this is the way you used to live. Whatever felt good to you, you did it. You yielded to it. You pursued it. And whatever you thought you wanted, whatever you desired. So it was a, 
kind of a feeling and desire driven existence I want you to just stop and think for a minute maybe you that are followers of Christ you can think back before you were a follower of Christ I can tell you this was me for sure um, I, I was completely time bound just like everybody is in other words I know that I came into existence somehow and I knew that my existence was not permanent I could die at any time okay so I was time bound I was sense governed meaning that the things that really governed my conduct was what I could see taste feel smell touch sense governed if it was beyond my physical senses I wasn't sure it was there and if it was there it didn't really too much matter so I was time bound sense governed and I was driven unknowingly by the fear of death meaning that I knew I could die at any time it didn't matter how young it didn't matter what the circumstances and I knew that I would die at sometimes time-bound sense governed driven by the fear of death this leads to a certain philosophy of life didn't realize it at the time but I certainly know it now the philosophy is this number one priority became for me as it is for you and every other human self-preservation number one it's I am alive and I want to stay alive as long as I can that's one thing I know so the pursuit of self-preservation becomes a driving force in our life the second pursuit is the one that leads us into bad decisions and bad experiences and that's self-gratification I learned pretty quickly in life certain things bring me pleasure certain things bring me pain so I deduce I like pain or excuse me I like pleasure better than pain <laughs> so I'm going to try to order my life to get as much pleasure and as little pain so this becomes the governing philosophy of my life self-preservation self-gratification are driving me and that's what is coloring my decision-making process and so I make reckless impulsive often stupid decisions and, and so that's what this is describing this this life where whatever feels good and whatever I desire that's what I'm all about I'm going to gain the whole world I'm going to get everything I want let me go a little further in this passage it goes on to chapter 4 and it kind of describes it in a different level it says they are people who lack all sense of right and wrong my God enlightened reasoning faculties and my conscience become weaker and weaker and weaker how many of you can remember the first time maybe you told your parents a lie can, can you perhaps remember or the first time you you did something your parents didn't told you don't you ever do that and you did it how many can remember back and, and do you remember the stress and the tension and, and you thought sure that they knew you know that you were lying or that you had done something you should and, and yet and yet fast forward five or six years you could look them right in the eye I did not do that <laughs> and they've caught you already the parent has caught you you took their car you drove it away you know I did not I did no I did not I did not well, what happens well our conscience atrophies and remember God built us in a certain order our God enlightened reasoning faculties and our conscience were meant to be aligned with God's truth and they were meant to govern our soul our mind will and emotions which was meant to govern our body so that was the divine order but this all gets scrambled when I start leading this life where self-preservation and self-gratification start governing I, I want pleasure and I want to fulfill my desires the people who lack all sense of right and wrong my conscience atrophies and who have turned themselves over to doing whatever what does it say whatever feels good 
and to practicing every sort of corruption along with greed. Some translations say every sort of corruption instead of greed with the desire for more and more and more. It's, it's kind of that um, cycle where it's uh, ever-increasing desires with ever-diminishing returns. You know what I'm saying? You do something for a while, and at first it's really exciting and fun, and then all of a sudden it just gets to be normal, and then it gets to be old, and then it gets to be boring, and then consequences tend to come. So that's, that's kind of what it's looking at. So Jesus says you've got to be willing to go my way, let your way go, or you can prefer to try to gain the whole world, but you'll, you'll lose your soul. It's inevitable because there's a, a deterioration process that happens. This is descriptive of this deterioration process. We get further and further controlled. Some of you, right now, the biggest problem in your life is there are certain desires that have such control over you that they are wrecking your life, and you know it, and you don't even know, you don't even know what to do. And there is no answer apart from coming back to your Creator, Christ, with great humility and patience and learning His ways and learning His will and letting Him to rebuild your soul, strengthen your God-enlightened reasoning. Your, your prefrontal cortex needs to be built up on God's Word. Your conscience needs to be calibrated with God's truth. And then you have to learn progressively to put off those old ways and habits. It's a war that has to be fought in our souls but if we do that, trusting in Christ, trusting in his patience, trusting in his forgiveness and mercy, well, well, we'll regain, as it were, our souls. God will heal it. He'll restore it. He'll put it back in order. And self-control, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, will start to become increasingly uh, a part of our life. All right, let's go on. Romans 8 gives us another view of the same internal disruption that occurs. Those who live following their sinful selves think only about things their sinful selves what is the word want so here's that desire oriented life again where, where all we're thinking about is how to gratify our desires we focus on it we fixate on it we we order our lives around trying to make sure that these certain desires we have that they are met but those who live following the spirit meaning the spirit of god are thinking about the things the spirit desires them to do if people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death, deterioration, damage, destruction for the soul. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there is life and what? Peace. Now, some of us, we've had some mileage on both sides of the fence. I have. I, I know what it's like to live contrary to the word and will of God, not trusting in Christ, not following him, trusting supremely in myself, following me and my desires and my ways. And I know the damage that it brought. I know the peace that it stole away that I didn't even know was possible. And now I've lived a lot of years on the other side, going God's way, taking up Jesus' cross, as it were, living according to his word and his will. And, and I've experienced the peace and the life Life as it's meant to be, life in its fullness, even in, in a world where evil is existed. So I've experienced both sides, and many of you have too. And, and we need, we especially that have experienced both of these experiences, we need to open these mouths of ours that God's given to us and talk to the people in our lives, in our circle of influence, about the difference that Christ actually makes in a person's life and that the pathway to the best life ever, even in this difficult world, it comes from following not our will and our ways, but Christ's. And, and it's something that 
we can speak to their souls because of our personal experience. Let's look at this now. So gaining the whole world, it requires a selfishness and a ruthlessness that inevitably destroys the soul. Once again, some of us have experienced this. I have experienced it. I remember the kind of selfish and ruthless individual that I was. I mean, all I was doing was trying to pursue the best life ever, but I became increasingly a ruthless and selfish person. And then there's this. Life becomes about getting what I want, when I want it, how I want it. People become things to be used to satisfy what? my desires and I'm becoming less and less fully human and less and less fully alive when this cycle is at work in my life pause for one minute and give yourselves the opportunity while the spirit of God has all of our attention equally to to ask does this describe my life am I somebody that my whole life when I really objectify it and look at it it's all about getting what I want when I want it how I want it and people, they're, they're, there's pawns that I move around. As long as they do what I want, when I want, as long as they're giving me what I need, I'm okay with them. But if not, I'm going to find a way to manipulate them, control them, punish them, perhaps. I, I mean, you need, and I need, we always need to be willing to let God's light penetrate and say, could this be, could this be descriptive of me? Because we don't tend to see these, these things about ourselves very easily. Now, I'm going to share a quote with you that I've shared for years because I thought it was brilliant. Tragically, the individual that gave the quote has never yet humbled himself sufficiently that he can experience the best life ever, which only comes by trusting and following Christ. But here it is. It's Jim Carrey. <laughs> it's a brilliant quote. He says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so they can see, what does it say? It's not the answer. This was shortly after Jim Carrey kind of hit the top and he had the experience. He said, I, I wish, in other words, Jim Carrey was saying, I wish you could get the whole world and you would see it's not the answer. It's, there's still going to be something lacking. I'm still going to be wanting something more. Now, Jim Carrey, unfortunately, instead of humbling himself to Christ, he's created some kind of mishmash of religious ideas that keep him in the driver's seat as it were and as long as he's in the driver's seat he's not going to experience best life ever in this life or in the world to come so then let's get on the other side of this how can we overcome how can we overcome this temptation and avoid the cost and it is a temptation to try to get it all and to get it all now because that's the way the masses of humanity are living they're living apart from Christ apart from the will of God that's the way our commercials that inundate our lives you know they they propagandize us around the clock to get it all you know don't deprive yourself of anything it's all about you you know fulfill your dreams have your dream don't let anybody stop your dreams get get what you desire so they're they're leading us down a path that leads to the destruction of our soul in bits and pieces and ultimately will deprive us of the eternal existence and true soul satisfaction that only God in eternity will be able to give us so how can we avoid this how, how can we get on the the Christ side of the equation how can we push back on this temptation to go along with everybody else because it seems to be the way the best and the brightest are all living they're all pursuing their own desires their their own uh, ambitions and so forth how can we avoid this era 
First of all, the book of James gives us some help. James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, The reality is you have no idea where your life will take you tomorrow. You are like a mist that appears one moment and then vanishes another. So James is reminding us our life is very fragile, very brief, and completely uncertain. So, so this notion that I'm going I'm to get it all and I'm going to get it now and I'm going to get what I want, how I want, and I'm going to be fulfilled and I'm going to get the best life ever, James is saying you better think about something. You can't control your next brain wave. You can't control your next heartbeat. And he says, in essence, even if we live what we call a long life, a long life is hilarious. So like 100, 120 years, we would call that a long life, long life, right? You ever think about this? One-third of that long life, do you know what you and I are doing? We're unconscious with our mouths hanging open. We are pitiful creatures. We can't even go 24 hours without completely collapsing. And it's God's little gentle, loving reminder, you better think about what kind of being you are. You're like a toothbrush. Toothbrush needs to be charged in, you know, every 24 hours, eight of those. Hopefully, you're going to be out. And then you're going to work for another eight, and so when you really think about how brief and uncertain our life is, James is saying, you can't get it all now. You don't live long enough, so why try? And even if you get it all now, you'll discover it's not enough. Your life is a vapor. You better live it wisely, godly. Live it in light of eternity. Let's look at this other passage from 1 John chapter 2. The apostle John writing, he says, do not love this world. It, it, it's very seductive. It's very shiny. It's very glamorous. There's a lot of pleasure that it, that it dangles before our eyes. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers, offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. How, how, can we, how can we love a world where there's brutality and cruelty and hatred and prejudice and disease and and crime and all these things if we if we love it something's wrong the love of God is not having its way in our hearts he says for the world offers only a craving for physical what pleasure dangles it before us listen you know you know people in your life that have sacrificed their whole life as it were for a little bit of physical pleasure and what we need to know, me, you, all of us, is that all of us live in a world that tempts us in this way constantly. It's a constant test. It's a constant temptation. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. The cycle goes on and on and on and on. Everything we see. And pride in our what? Look what I did. Do you, did you see that deal that I just sunk? Did you look? Do you see where I live and what I live in? You know, I mean, pride in our achievements, and we know this is true about ourselves. And possessions. See my new furniture. <laughs> did you see? Did you did you see the stripes in my lawn? <laughs> yeah, I got stripes. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. These dumb things dangled before us, and we buy into it like a bad infomercial. We sink our lives 
into these things. And then John gives the closing of them. And this world is what? It's, it's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will what? Live forever. John is saying this world is like a mirage. Mirages are weird deals. You know, you, you can see a, like an oasis, and that oasis may be 100 miles away. You think it's real close, and you, you pursue it. You keep chasing it, chasing it, but you're going to probably die in the desert before you ever get to it because it might be 100 miles away. It, it's a refraction of light phenomenon, and John is saying, don't chase this stuff. Don't let it get a grip on your heart. Don't let it get a hold of your affections because it will just draw you out into the wilderness of self-destruction. Let me show you a typical cycle of futility that we all probably have to learn the hard way at some point. It goes like this. We have a desire for something. I'm not saying that all desires are evil. You know, some of them are very legitimate. So we have a desire, and then we pursue it. We pursue the desire, and then, wow, we acquire it, acquisition. We get what we want, and we feel satisfied. You know, we, we get the raise, we get the achievement, we get the house, we get the spouse, whatever it is, and wow, man, we feel good for a while, right? We do. It's okay. But then... Something, something happens. It's like, okay, still there's something more. I, I'm not sure what it is. I want, oh, 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 now I know what it is I need. I know what's missing. So we go from restlessness to dissatisfaction, and then the cycle just starts over, desire and pursuit. And sometimes we can watch that we have been on this cycle for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, until life is almost over. We just keep replacing one desire and one pursuit and one acquisition with another. That's why Jesus says, don't try to chase the world. Don't try to gain the world because in the process, you'll lose the most important thing you have, your soul, your soul. Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities. Remember I said that Jesus asks us questions because he wants to awaken us to critical realities that we may not be sufficiently awakened to. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Heaven is a real place, a real society. It is a place where the deepest desires of human hearts will be realized. It is a place where you are safe. There is nothing to be afraid of ever. There is no pain. There is no sickness. There is no sorrow. There is no hatred. There is no conflict. You will be known. You will be respected. You will be loved every day, all the time, everywhere you go. You will feel the euphoric feeling of first love as a normative experience every day of your life in this society. The little bits of euphoria we experience in this life are meant to draw us toward this place where our heart's desires will be realized forever. But we've got to now in this life so that we don't, you know, drink the Kool-Aid as it were we've got to remember we've got to fix our sights we've got to think about it um, more or less each day if we can remind ourselves of our heavenly realities it's where Christ sits in the place of honor as, at God's right hand think about notice think take my mind and deliberately use my will to think think about the things of heaven not the things of earth I want to challenge you to do something sometime get alone with God and get a piece of paper and pen and just start saying, God, I, I just want you to help me envision heaven. Now, the scripture tells us a lot about heaven, but there's a lot that it doesn't tell us. But there's things we do know. It's a place where there's no sin, sorrow, sickness, pain, death, hatred, and so forth. And you just sit there and think and let God, God's spirit kind of take your mind and imagination. And you'll be, you'll be amazed. And you'll find 
That's what I have been always looking for. You and I as human beings have desires that nothing in this present earth can ever fulfill. Why chase what cannot fulfill? Fix our hearts and our minds on that place we were always meant for where God's love fills every heart. Ephesians says this, it says, remember the Lord will reward each one of us for the, for the what? The good we do, not the achievements we make, the good that we do. Now sometimes they're the same, but not necessarily. So, so I resist this temptation to get it all and to get it all now, to possess the whole world, gain the world, and at the cost of my soul, by remembering my life is short at best. I can't get it all now, and even if I do get it all now, it's not going to be enough because I am made for a different kind of existence, and I cannot experience that change to get to that, that ultimate existence unless I start letting the truth of God, the love of God, start to penetrate the deepest parts of me now to change my actual conduct, my actual desires, my actual value systems right now progressively in this life. First Peter says this, we have an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade, and it's kept safe for you where? If you've put your faith in Christ and you're his follower, you've got an inheritance. You know, when I read this, the thing that jumps out at me when it says this inheritance that, that every Christ follower has, it cannot decay, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade. No more maintenance. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I hate maintenance. <laughs> But it's reality. The place that we're trying to replicate here in this imperfect world, it's that place. And so we keep buying and fixing up, and that's okay, we have to. But what we're really looking for is that, and that is there. It's secure. It's waiting for every Christ follower. So let's close with this thought. We're all, we're all, right here in this room, we're all now, right now, we're pursuing something we might be pursuing gaining the whole world getting it all getting it now resulting in the loss of our souls in other words you don't lose your soul in one big sweep we lose our soul in little bits and chunks as we're trying to get it all and get it all now or are we pursuing union with Christ and devotion to his kingdom producing the divinely intended development of our souls our souls are either deteriorating they're either experiencing damage and decay or they're experiencing development if we're those that have trusted Christ and are following him our souls are going to be developing they're going to be healing they're going to be growing if we're not followers of Christ if we haven't trusted in him inevitable inevitable decay damage and ultimately destruction is what our souls will bring so that last question is for each of us now which which one describes us today are we pursuing something might be gaining the whole world resulting in the loss for soul, or are we pursuing union with Christ and devotion to his kingdom that should show itself in tangible ways so if an honest objective observation of our lives shows that no matter what we think we think or, or, or say, say that we say or believe that we believe we're actually pursuing getting it all and getting it all now we have an opportunity a God-given opportunity to change and so the Spirit of God is lovingly here right now saying man I so want you to really get it all and to have the best life ever 
a developmental journey in this life that will lead you to the eternal fulfillment of your deepest desires in a place that those deepest desires will never be frustrated and what you possess there you will never ever lose can't hold on to it in this life everything either decays or has to be thrown away so I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish where I started first question have you put your trust in Christ and become his follower if not this is a great opportunity to do so and then if you are a follower of Christ have you maybe drifted and maybe the, the Spirit of God is lovingly trying to get you back on the path of life and righteousness let's pray Father we thank you for the certainty that that you are in charge you've got a plan you've got a purpose you're working it out and you invite us lovingly and freely into it may your spirit get access to, to each of our, our, our attention help us to see what we need to see and to change what we need to change we ask it all in Christ's name Amen mm -hmm.